Hello, hello, everyone. We are back for another podcast interview with the Alberta Forest Products Association. My name is Aspen Dudzik. I am the Director of Communications at the AFPA. And this time we're not in Jasper at the AGM. It's actually a few months out since then. Um, and we are in Edmonton at the Road 55 studio. I am super excited to have my CEO, President and CEO of the AFPA, Jason Cripps, joining me today. Jason, how's it going? Oh, great, Aspen. I'm just thrilled to be here today and, and looking forward to our conversation this afternoon. Yeah, me too. This Is is this your first podcast interview ever? Yes, it is. Yeah. I've done interviews before and I've done my own webinars, but my first time in a podcast. Yeah, awesome. Well, that is very exciting for me. Um, you are coming up on, is it two years as CEO with AFPA? Two and a half. Two and a half two and years. And a half. Holy smokes, time is flying. very fast. How has that been for you? No pressure. <laughs> I know no, I'm your staff. It's been, but <laughs> it's been surreal. It's been fun. It's been exciting. It's been exhausting. Yeah. It's been... Uh, rejuvenating everything, mm -hmm. all of that. Uh, part of it is, is being in this role during COVID. So basically yeah. left government. I had a great career at government, 19 and a half years, last six and a half years. Is, it is a long time. And last six and a half years as deputy minister for two different ministries. And when I came into this role, um, the world went on its head, mm -hmm. right? We entered COVID literally almost as I signed uh, the contract with uh, the board, the AFPA board. And uh, to take on a new role, uh, get into industry nonprofit association space at a time when the world was shutting down, yeah. it was challenging. But it was actually almost a gift for me in terms of being able to look inside the organization and really dig into what's there, maybe what's needed, see what kind of gaps there would be or are within the organization and allow us to refresh. I think had I not come into the role during COVID and just during normal times, mm -hmm. I would have probably been, been focused much more on the external world and working with stakeholders uh, and working with our industry and our partners and probably wouldn't have paid as much attention to the internal workings of the organization. So yeah. I look back now, while it was stressful and uncertain, it was actually a gift of time for me to look inside of the organization and really uh, help us refresh and reboot. I'm not surprised to hear that perspective. Um, we know that you're a very positive team member, so it's it's great to hear that coming from you. Um, I remember when you came on, because of course I'm one of the staff who's been on for um, pre-Jason Cripps <laughs> AFPA times, and I can only imagine how challenging that would be to kind of come into an organization as the leader of that organization and not have the opportunity to connect with your team and your staff every single day. Like that must have been super weird for you. Very weird, because I see myself as very much a people person. Mm -hmm. I thrive on relationships. I thrive on meeting new people. I thrive on the energy between folks. And to all of a sudden have to work on developing those new relationships on screen, by and large, was mm -hmm. a challenge. But it's good. It challenged me. It uh, made me refocus and look at the different tools that we had uh, doing um, uh, Zoom and Teams and phone calls, lots of phone calls at oh, the yeah. start. Uh, <laughs> but that was good. And it, it let me self-reflect as the world did to start using technology to our advantage. But in my mind, nothing replaces that face-to-face -face interaction. So mm -hmm. as we've moved out of restrictions this past April and obviously the last two and a half years, we've done this up and down in terms of uh, COVID restrictions but to come out of April and get back into the external facing yeah. world has been really exciting and it's almost as if I had a phase one to my first part of being CEO for this organization and phase two more or less started in March or April where I could actually get out and do the external mm -hmm. facing role that this uh, external facing um, part of the role. Yeah absolutely. Um, so 
Coming back to, you mentioned 19 years with government previously, and now in this new role on kind of the lobbyist advocacy side of things, how was that transition for you? Was it kind of weird? Weird, uh, challenging, exciting. Yeah. Uh, so first off, a bit weird because coming out of the, the deputy minister role, I was actually frozen out of being able to do any direct advocacy to government. Yes, that's right. I was cooled off through the conflict of interest rules and you know mm-hmm. totally take that very seriously. So I had to be very, very careful in not engaging with government uh, for the year coming out of my deputy minister yeah. role. Subsequent to that, it's been fun to use the skill sets uh, on the flip side, having met with a ton of stakeholders in my previous roles in government to actually then try to focus and make sure that we're hitting the mark when we meet with government and making sure that we go in not only with you know our issues that we may have and concerns, but solutions or some options for solutions. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I really look forward to in meeting with government officials is actually hopefully putting forward some potential solutions to some of the issues that we feel that we have with with government issues or issues of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we've talked about COVID being one of the big changes that we've seen in the last two, two and a half years since you've been with the AFPA. Uh, But there have been others as well. I mean, you kind of joined the association uh, with the board kind kind of having this sense of you know, a bringer of change and, you know, some of the ways that we could continue to grow the association and take it to the next level. What have been some of those key things for you? So but what's been really cool is my predecessor, Paul Whitaker, actually, as he was heading out the door, was able to attract two companies that had been outside of the AFPA mm-hmm. tent for a while. So he brought in Alpac, he brought in Mercer, both pulp producers awesome. in the in the province. Yeah. Uh, super excited to have that broader view and broader lens of the industry join. Uh, on top of that, shortly after I joined, uh, West Fraser bought out... Uh, um, Norboard. Um, Norboard. Yep. And so Norboard came into the tent. And over the last year and a half, I've worked as the whole team has worked very diligently to showcase our value proposition to Toco. Toco was probably the one outstanding company that hadn't joined AFPA. And over the last year and a half, uh, given the changes we've been able to make to the throughout the organization, uh, bringing in a lot more policy talent, mm-hmm. uh, refreshing that talent, empowering those that are had been within the organization to really thrive and do what uh, they do very very well we've been able to showcase to Tokel that we actually do have a value proposition for them to join so as of uh, the end of june of this year or actually mid-june of this year Tokel joined so we are actually the full suite of forest producing companies in the province that mm-hmm. now belongs to afpa or that are a part of afpa yeah. so super excited about that so that allows us to really punch uh above our weight uh mm-hmm. to really showcase to government that we are the place for forestry policy for forest advocacy for forest issues of the day in alberta and uh just love the confidence that the board has shown us but in in fact i would say it's because what the team has brought and the fact that we've been able to bring in some amazing talent and refresh and also empower talent that was there that we showcase as team AFPA. It's Mm -hmm. not one person. It's not the CEO. It's the full suite of the staff that actually really make up the the rock stars that I think the the staff are. Mm -hmm. Well, great to hear. As always, I want to come back to you mentioned that we've got, you know, some of the new pulp members as well. We've got diverse representation of some of the different, you know, forestry products that you can make in the sector, including pulp, but including some of the lumber products. We have secondary manufacturers like Mass Timber. What's so important about having all of that different representation? It is such a symbiotic 
uh, industry. Uh, one member relies on the next either as a customer or a purchaser of their products. To have the full suite of this, the industry represented at the board table allows us to actually showcase uh, not only to government, but to uh, the industry and the public as a whole, how important and synergistic the industry is. And that if one mill goes down, if a sawmill goes down, that puts at jeopardy a, a pulp mill. That puts mm-hmm. in jeopardy a, a, a wood pellet producer. So uh, having everybody in the tent gives us the ability to showcase to any government decision makers or to the broader public that uh, you need a holistic approach to dealing mm-hmm. with forestry and to making sure that we thrive and maintain a viable industry in this province. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're a super integrated sector and we talk about that all of the time. And I think what's really cool about that is that creates a lot of space for um, innovation and for more kind of sustainability measures or practices that that we can use or that our members can use. What is some of the cool stuff that you're seeing? So I'm actually fresh off a trip uh, to Japan. So right? I yeah. joined uh, Alberta, or sorry, the BC Ministry of Forestry, as well as Canada Wood, which is an industry association paid for by a number of uh, industry associations and members across Canada. They do an annual trip into Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, except for COVID, obviously. And so they uh, had me join them. And there was about 50 representatives from industry between Alberta and BC, but mainly BC. One thing I thought was really cool that I saw that's innovative, that it does happen here, but there's opportunities for future growth is mass timber. Yeah, Mass timber is actually a growing phenomenon uh, of use of wood. Um, What's really cool about our industry, about our sector, um, is that uh, forests um, sequester carbon. Mm-hmm. And if they're harvested at the right time, uh, they continue to sequester carbon and the products, you know, this table is sequestered carbon. Yeah, absolutely. And then we replenish uh, those forests, we re- uh, reseed. Uh, the cool thing with mass timber, it is another venue, an innovative product that allows us to continue to sequester carbon and use and display uh, our products in a much more um, sexy and in, uh, sophisticated totally. way. Totally. Mass timber is wicked cool. Some of the uh, some of the stuff that the architects and the engineers can do with that product and and the end result, the buildings that they make are just gorgeous, unbelievable. Yeah. And so we saw that firsthand in Japan. And so that is a a newer niche market in Japan mm-hmm. that maybe not Alberta set to to poise to take advantage of, but certainly Western Canada is, yeah. um, which then allows us to then backstop some of our products into BC. So mm-hmm. uh, super excited about that type of. Uh, uh, explosion of opportunities on the mass timber front, not only in Japan, but obviously in Western Canada and, and mm-hmm. North America as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the times when we look at relationships internationally, we think about um, speaking with one voice, like coming from Canada. And I think, you know, we've got our friends at FPAC, Forest Products Association of Canada. They do a phenomenal job of that. But what do you think is really powerful about having a voice from Alberta, like yourself, going somewhere like Japan to continue to build those relationships? Why is that kind of... Extremely important. Uh, It is, and I've been very blessed in my previous roles in government to actually be overseas in Asia quite a bit, into Europe, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. a slightly less or so, but still into the United States and Mexico. One thing I've found throughout my travels is it's a tough enough time marketing and branding yourself as a national um, entity like Canada, let alone mm-hmm. a subnational like Alberta. So there's much more strength in us showcasing a Team Canada approach yep. on any particular product that we're selling. So the fact that we're there 
as part of a Team Canada. You had officials from the Canadian government, you had officials from the BC government, you had industry from BC and Alberta, mm-hmm. um, and uh, folks that are literally on the ground in Japan uh, that represent Canada, branding us as Canada, regardless of what subnational totally. jurisdiction we are as, as part of Canada. It's so powerful. Um, so to me, making sure that we wear that flag, not mm-hmm. only metaphorically, but truly as Team Canada when we're abroad, super important. Yeah, and and showing up as a team, right? Because it wasn't just you that was there, but we had our friends from BC out there. Like there was more than one person with the Team Canada exactly. kind of energy, exactly. right? Exactly, 100%. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, something else that I think, uh, coming back to the international perspective, we have members who are multinational companies who have you know facilities in Canada, who have facility, facilities in the States, Europe or otherwise. Uh, but we also have some members who are really just focused in Alberta. They've just got maybe one or two facilities here. What have you found um, interesting or challenging or unique about navigating the relationship, leading an association who has to speak and work and advocate for, you know, those bigger multinational groups, but then also some of the smaller guys? Well, uh, in my previous role a number of years ago, I was an uh, assistant deputy minister before I became deputy minister. And my deputy minister of the day always said to us ADMs, you're all my favorite children. Oh. And, and I, <laughs> that stuck with me because I love that phrase. And I, I, would, I love working with all of our board members. Yeah. And, and not to be paternalistic, but they are all my favorite children. And yeah. everybody has a unique need, whether you're a multinational or whether you're a smaller member or whether you're, you're part of the, the sawmilling side, the pulp, the mm-hmm. paper. Uh, but... Uh, working with each of the board members individually and each of the companies individually to find that common thread of the issues that we need to work on together yeah. uh, is is a fun part of my role. I love it. Um, I thrive off of finding that commonality. And so it's making sure that team, uh, the, the smaller independent teams are, are not swallowed up by issues that maybe yeah. are only predominantly uh, relate to the multinationals and vice versa. So need to make sure that you're looking for that common thread, that common theme. Um, and what has been really cool about seeing our board dynamics is there may be an issue that only affects a multinational, but the independency, you know what, if that multinational issue doesn't get solved, it's going to ripple effect onto my own sure. operation. So they will lean in and support just as much uh, on those issues as well their own and vice versa. The multinationals recognize there may be just a localized issue that affects one of our smaller independent uh, members or mills. Mm-hmm. But if that mill goes down, that will affect the chip supply going into a pulp, totally. um, pulp member. So Back to the integration. Exactly. So it's such an integrated industry. And so what I love is even though we have multinationals and independents, uh, there's lots of commonality that brings us together to push for the common good of the, mm-hmm. the sector. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we hear about all the time. You know, people talk about the forestry community and then people go that extra level and talk about that forestry family. And it's something we saw, of course, tons of at the AGM. Everyone's so excited to see each other. It really is that community or that family energy. Everyone's kind of in it together. And, you know, of course, companies individually want to continue to be competitive. But at the end of the day, when it comes to some of these key issues, it is a community. Community and family, you've hit it, Aspen. Uh, what's been really cool to watch, and I spent a chunk of my government career in the agriculture space as opposed to ag forestry, although I had mm-hmm. some forestry uh, exposure as well. What has struck me about the similarities between the agriculture community and industries, uh, as well as the forestry industry and sector, is that family. It mm-hmm. is, um, they're humble. Uh, the hardworking individuals, they probably, both sectors don't say as much good things about themselves as they really should. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really should 
look to pump their, their tires. And that's um, our job. That's but that's our job, <laughs> and that's one thing. You many things you're great about Aspen, but one in particular is working not only from the communication side and showcasing the benefits of our sector to the public uh, writ large, but also working on the Love Alberta Forest campaign, mm-hmm. which actually again amplifies that message of the importance of the sector not only to the province from an economic standpoint, but an environmental standpoint as yeah. well. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Jason. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to come back to, you mentioned some of the key issues that bring all of us together. What are some of the things that you're seeing as the key issues for us, especially going into 2023? So one thing we're noticing in particular, and we're really uh, putting our shoulder the wheel on is uh, transportation. So logistics, supply chain issues, yes, many sectors are experiencing issues coming out of COVID or experienced supply chain issues throughout COVID and coming out of COVID. Um, we have an acute issue when it comes to rail and rail capacity in mm-hmm. our sector that is affecting other sectors as well. Uh, I would say that we are not getting the rail services that we feel that we are contractually it should be getting from uh, the service provider, uh, mainly in northern Alberta. So that's something we're going to look to amplify our message that we need more rigor. We need uh, more rigor from the federal government and the Canadian Transportation Act to ensure that we are in fact getting our companies getting the services from our rail provider mm-hmm. um, and making sure that it's timely, that it's done, uh, that the cars that they're saying that they, a particular meal will get, yeah. will get them and um, we'll make sure that their products get into market. There were a few of our pulp members who actually had to curtail some of their production yeah. over the last several months because they were not getting the rail services that they were contractually told that they would get. Mm-hmm. And so that costs a lot of money and that affects people's jobs and livelihoods. And yeah. so that's something we're working with Northern mayors uh, in particular, we're working with a couple of other industry associations and industry players as well to amplify the concerns we have on the rail uh, service that we've been getting over the last year, mm-hmm. pr- several years actually to try to showcase that uh, we need better service and that our Northern economy in particular depends on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, of course you mentioned like that it's been an issue that industry has been battling with for a little while. And certainly it's, it's uh, increased in the winter months. You mentioned, you know, our friends um, in the pulp mills and how they've had to, you know, slow production because they weren't able to export their goods. And I learned, I didn't know that until this year, but you can't, store pulp outside because if you do then by the time you go to recover that product there's sometimes losses because it doesn't keep well in these very cold wet winters that exactly. we have there's so. basically degradation of the the product of the yeah. uh, the feedstock so what's happened is a couple of our pulp members have actually had to um lease space in edmonton mm-hmm. uh to store some of the raw pulp so basically they're trucking the raw pu- raw pulp down to edmonton so right. as a result you're having more trucks on the road which mm-hmm. means you're actually having more carbon sequ- uh, more uh, released into the atmosphere so right. part of our advocacy on the rail side is actually having a highly functioning rail system reduces carbon in the atmosphere and is better totally. for the environment yeah Way more efficient, right? Exactly. And, and safer as well, less less vehicles on the road too. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned uh, some of the great support that we've seen from the mayors in the province. Can we talk about that a little bit? 100%. 100%. So uh, Mayor Jackie Clayton out of Grand Prairie, fantastic advocate yeah. for our industry. Uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Clayton and I chat every two weeks, sometimes more often than not, but it, we have a, a dedicated time every two weeks and she's become a real champion and hub to work with the other Northern mm-hmm. mayors and actually broader than Northern mayors, Central Alberta mayors as well mm-hmm. um, on whether it's rail transportation, we've had some issues related to electricity in the past that we leaned on the Northern mayors through Jackie Clayton, and she's become a real champion for our industry and uh, gets the the importance of 
our sector, not only to the Grand Prairie City, the Grand Prairie region, but Northern Alberta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I know one of the things when I started, I, I definitely had the perception or the awareness that our association would work to, you know, continue to build positive relationships with the provincial government. I think one of the things that was less intuitive for me immediately was how our association would be building relationships with some of the municipal leaders. But of course, you know, those are the communities that our members are operating in and they do have positive relationships with their community. They do. It's been really cool to, to watch that platform and that vehicle take off, uh, utilizing and working with uh, municipalities. Uh, they have a broader view than just us in our sector and mm-hmm. they can amplify our message uh, in a different way than an associate industry association yeah. can and being able to utilize that tool um, and it becomes symbiotic too. They've actually turned to us at the time and say, you know what, Jason, we need AFPA to lean in on X, Y, or Z. Right. And so we've done the same thing. So uh, just a huge shout out to our Northern mayors. Um, and not only mayors, the councils. Sorry, I should be actually talking mm-hmm. not only with the broader councils as well because they've been real champions for our industry. And again, they've amplified our message in a different way than we could simply by representing us as an industry. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. Exactly. Um, what are some of the other kind of key issues or opportunities that you see? So opportunities, um, net zero, right? Yeah. We have such a great environmental story to tell mm-hmm. in, in uh, forestry. And uh, over the last several years, I think 2020 and 2021, we're still w- obviously waiting on the 2022 numbers. Every year in 2020 and 2021, our industry has planted 100 million seeds. Mm-hmm. Like That is incredible. That is a cool number to, to have. Yeah. Uh, and that represents about three trees grown for mm-hmm. every tree that we harvest. And um, I think we just have such a great story to tell on the environmental side. Um, the boreal forest, you need to harvest anywhere from 80 to 120 years in that sweet spot. Um, trees sequester carbon, obviously, mm-hmm. as they grow, as they get into a mature stage around that 120 years, they become 80 to 120 years, they become susceptible to pests, mountain pine beetle and fire. Absolutely. And so if they're not harvested at the right time, you all of a sudden turn a carbon sequester into a carbon emitter. So yeah. uh, the beautiful thing about us uh, is that it's a sustainable, um, renewable industry. We harvest and then we re- plant. Mm -hmm. So we're actually sequestering carbon in products like this table, but in turn, we're um, reseeding three, you know, growing three trees for every tree that is, that is harvested and continuing that cycle of continuing to carbon sequester. Mm -hmm. So I love that story. I think we need to amplify that not only provincially, but federally Mm -hmm. to showcase that we are one of the most natural solutions for climate change. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about nature-based solutions all the time. I mean, we do internally, and and it's something that's been really funny for me, um, learning that externally, nature-based solutions aren't something that's, you know, immediately intuitive for folks when we think about carbon sequestration or carbon storage. A lot of folks, you know, immediately jump to the technology that's available for that. And I think, you know, what better than to just look in our own backyards for this these carbon sequestering superheroes that we've already, that we're already growing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, So you mentioned, you know, sharing more of this on a provincial level and then, of course, federally. But we have an election that's coming up this spring. Let's chat about that. What do you see as some of our kind of key advocacy priorities or what's important for the forestry sector going into the election? Regardless of policy, what we're looking for in a government is to actually be a champion for us, tell our story. So setting aside any policy levers or policy issues that we would like either changed or to amplify, Mm -hmm. telling our story and helping to amplify the good news that is the forestry sector, not only from an economic perspective, but we just talked about the environmental perspective. Uh, Showcasing, uh, having a champion. So it doesn't matter what stripe of of 
political uh, parties in charge. We're looking for someone to really help be a champion for us because we do have such a great story to tell. Mm -hmm. And that's not just nationally, but into the states and internationally as well. So in the United States, there's actually some bills uh, that we're playing what I would call whack-a-mole on. And uh, there's some yes. deforestation bills that are lumping the boreal forest in with the tropical rainforest. Yeah. And night and day in terms of uh, the regulatory framework that uh, we harvest under, uh, the obligations for us to recede, uh, the third party mm -hmm. certifications that we have in this country is incredible. And so what we're looking for is a provincial government and a federal government uh, to amplify our positive story to showcase that we do have a, a really strong environmental story to tell mm -hmm. and that what is happening in the tropical rainforest is not the boreal forest. So, yeah. um, for example, there's been a bill in New York, there's been a bill in California, and I think there is an executive order in Colorado that was trying to push boreal and tropical rainforest together and mm -hmm. basically asking the governments of the day not to procure products from uh, forestry products from yeah. jurisdictions that have either from the boreal or the tropical rainforest. We've been working very much. We talked a few minutes ago about Team Canada. We've been working yeah. very closely with FPAC, Forest Products Association of Canada. You mentioned our sister organization federally, a number of other uh, provincial agencies, provincial government here, as well as federal government officials and other provinces mm -hmm. to push back on those bills. Uh, and I think to date, we've had some really good successes, uh, but we are playing whack-a-mole uh, yeah. because these bills seem to come back in a different form. So what we're looking for in a provincial government and federal government is to help us push back on those uh, to amplify our positive story, to showcase that the boreal is not the tropical rainforest and that we have great third-party certification um, of our products here in the province and in mm -hmm. the country. Yeah, well, you know, the thing about those bills, um, deforestation is, it's a scary word. It's an emotional word and it's one that, you know, a lot of us have we have a perception of, you know, what that is, what that looks like, and we apply it broadly to, we assume that's what's happening in the boreal. But from what I understand and from, from the research that I've seen, um, the leading cause of deforestation in Canada is urbanization, it's development, it's road building, it's city expansion. Um, I've, I've seen this really cool quote, uh, and I can't remember exactly who it's from, but forestry is not deforestation, like the opposite of deforestation is reforestation, right? And so that's, that is our story. That's how we have a sustainable business model. I mean, if you look economically, if, if that's how you want to want to look at it, you know, if we're not managing this resource responsibly, if we're not managing this resource in a way that means we're going to continue to have it, then our entire business model goes down. We can't continue to operate. Um, but also, you know, from the environmental perspective, the folks that are working in this sector, gosh darn, they care a whole lot about this resource. They're the folks that are dedicating their lives to be working and living in it every single day. And so, of course, they want to have forests to continue to enjoy and recreate in and for their families and their kids and grandchildren to enjoy. Like it's, I don't know, to me, it's just intuitive, but deforestation is such an emotional and scary word. Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, some of the new swag for the, uh, the Love Alberta Forest campaign is, mm. is that foresters were environmentalists before environmentalists were cool. And yeah, totally. <laughs> the foresters that I've been able to be blessed to, to meet on the tours of our mills, uh, the biologists, uh, those that are working the shop floor, they are truly passionate about yeah. the forest. They recreate in it. Uh, they will fish, they'll hunt, they'll quad, they'll hike, mm -hmm. they'll camp. Um, they want um, a sustainable forest, just like us in the urban settings want a sustainable mm -hmm. forest. So they, they take very much pride in the work that they do, sure. that it is a uh, renewable sector and that they are a part of an industry that 
grows mm-hmm. three trees for every tree that we harvest because they want the legacy not only for themselves but their kids and their grandkids and what i think a stat that has really um stuck with me since getting into this role is and it's not a stat it's a fact that our industry thinks in 100 and 200 year time frames yeah. right? they plan out the harvesting 100 and 200 years out what other industry can say that i mean that's yeah. that's well past my kids my grandkids my great kids grandkids like that is five or six generations worth of thinking out and making mm-hmm. sure that we have a sustainable and renewable sector and that the forests are here for generations to come. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. I think, you know, we were blessed to have so much forest in our province. I think over 60% of our province is forested. And so, of course, we've got a ton of folks that live in Alberta that love to recreate, love to enjoy the forest. But these are the people that have gone beyond that. They've taken something that's a hobby and essentially turned it into a career. These are the people that are stewarding the forest. They've taken it that extra step. And so, of course, they're going to care about the sustainability. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, and you know, some of the, the benchmark economic stats uh, showcase we have 31,000 either direct, indirect, or tertiary employees attached to the forestry sector. Mm-hmm. And those individuals have families and all of them like to, not all of them, but a, a majority of them like to get out, be a part of the environment, be a part of the forest. And so they take huge pride in doing what they do on an everyday basis and then get out and enjoying uh, during the non-work hours. Was it surprising for you to learn about some of the economic data when you joined the forestry sector? Huge. So $13.6 billion worth of economic impact on an Mm -hmm. annualized basis, which is absolutely incredible. As I mentioned, 31,000 direct indirect employees. Uh, I think in the 2020 and 2021 years, we almost put a billion dollars into the provincial coffers from Mm -hmm. a royalty perspective. That's a lot of roads, hospitals, schools that are being built based on the fact that we have a very highly functioning industry. Mm-hmm. forestry industry. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's not always apparent because a lot of our operations, of course, aren't happening in Edmonton. They're not happening in Calgary. A lot of our sector, you know, they're based in the northern part of the province. So if you're not out there, you're not going to see them. But what's really cool, so we did a socioeconomic impact assessment uh, through uh, one of the consulting firms, verified all the stats. So the stats I just talked about, the other thing that was really surprising about that socioeconomic impact assessment is that the impact that we have in a Calgary and an Edmonton and a Medicine Hat and uh, other areas you wouldn't anticipate Mm -hmm. uh, service providers utilizing or the forestry sector utilizing the service providers, a much deeper economic impact in a positive way to the Calgary's and Edmonton's than one would uh, think at the top because it is predominantly a Edmonton North um, industry, but the economic impact spills right across the country. For sure. Sorry, right across the province. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to consider, um, you know, who who are the folks that are selling the equipment that our sector needs to use? Or who are the folks that are taking our, our product and they're turning it into something else, like furniture? Like there's a ton of spinoff jobs that aren't immediately coming to mind for folks, but you have to realize the impacts while our operations are largely in the northern part of the province, they're all over. Exactly. Yeah. So um, something that I do want to talk about, we have, as we know, forestry here in Canada, we've got forestry in the US, forestry in Europe, and we always talk about how, you know, we're very sustainable. Canada's forestry in Canada is very, very sustainable. Um, And of course, we're seeing that in other models elsewhere. But what are some of the things that we're seeing from a government perspective in countries like Europe that really enable and empower forestry to be successful? A a wood-based culture, I would say. Um, basically, you making sure that from a policy lens, uh, wood is seen and forests are seen from an economic or sorry, an environmental perspective. And it's a whole of, of 
country approach to the use of um, of wood, whether it's on the bio side, you know, biomass, uh, bioenergy. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing Sweden and Finland in particular leading the charge on that. It'd be great to see some policy lens here in the yeah. country and in the province that, you know what, let's, let's look at all things renewable through a forestry lens uh, and look at some of the opportunities that the bio side uh, provides for our industry. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. I would definitely love to see more of that here. And I think for me, it's all about not just from a government perspective, but of course, as we mentioned, myself working in communications and more of the public side of things. Um, what I want to see is Albertans feeling empowered to be proud of the forestry sector that we have here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Jason, this has been so much fun to bring you out of the office into the studio with me and have a fireside chat about forestry and kind of what we're seeing as opportunities and challenges. I think 2023 is going to be a great year. Do you have anything else that you want to chat about before Just we wrap? super pumped about 2023, super pumped about where our sector is headed, the opportunities in front of us, the great environmental story that we have to tell, the positive economic impact we have in the province, and that spills over to the rest of the country. You know, I'm just damn excited and proud to be a part of this industry. Right on. Thank you so much, Jason. This has been awesome. Thank you, Asmin. Great job. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of the AFPA podcast. My name is Aspen Dudzik. I'm the Director of Communications with the AFPA, and we're so excited to be doing this with you and sharing this content with you. If you have any feedback or questions for us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at albertaforestproducts.ca and check out Love Alberta Forest to learn more. 